Well, it's good to be back with you this week. Our text is this passage of Scripture from Genesis, and the title of the sermon is What It Takes to Be Great. What It Takes to Be Great. I stand before you this morning uh, with a newfound awareness that I need an attitude adjustment. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, we realized that a lot quicker than you did, Tommy. But uh, really, for me, this need for an attitude adjustment really came to the surface, came to mind for me a little over a week ago on Thursday morning when we were leaving for vacation. And we were about a mile and a half into our 3.30 a.m. Uber ride to Nashville International Airport when I realized I didn't have my cell phone. And, and shortly after I realized that I didn't have my cell phone, I remembered where I left my cell phone, on the back edge of the truck of the Uber ride that we were now a mile and a half down the road on. So we pull off on the side of the road to see if maybe one of God's miracles for that morning was that my phone would still be there on the ledge of the pickup truck, and it was not. Fortunately, I have an iPhone, and I have my laptop in the Uber ride, and so I use the Find My Phone app. And about 30 minutes later, on the side of Manchester Highway, I found my phone. And the only thing that worked on my phone was the Find My Phone app. My attitude started off on a bad note. We get into the car and we begin to make our way towards the Interstate I-24 and the next thing that we realize is there's these beautiful blue lights in the rear view mirror. We had been pulled over because somebody in my neighborhood had reported a suspicious yellow, uh, white truck with three people out with flashlights looking around on the side of the road. They thought we were stealing lumber from all the new home builds in our neighborhood and they called the cops on us. So we got pulled over. My attitude was not improving. We go to the airport. I don't know if you've been flying lately, uh, uh, but they've reduced the number of flights overall because of COVID, and, and they are packing us in like sardines on the flights that are uh, going in and out of uh, Nashville. And so I spent the entire day in a really full airport and airplane, and that did not help my attitude any. When we finally landed at our destination, I looked outside of the airplane and I could see ponding water all over the pavement and all in the grass on either side, and that did not help my attitude at all. We stayed at one of these all-inclusive resorts, and we really splurged this year. We did this elite butler service. You ever familiar with that where you have these butlers that say that their job for the entire week is just to cater to your every desire. And so uh, they ask us what we would like. And I said, well, uh, I have only one real request. I am an early riser and I found that you people on island time don't get to doing anything early. I would like a carafe of coffee delivered to my room at 
5 a.m. Because if you think my attitude is bad without, with coffee, you ought to see it without it, right? Some of the staff members know what I'm talking about. My wife said, all the request I have is that we have lounge chairs facing the water the whole time that we're here. They assured us that both of those requests would be easy to meet. The next morning, 5 o'clock rolled around, my coffee wasn't there. And we found out later that our chair facing the water wasn't there either. And all week long, they had trouble meeting those two requests. Some butlers, huh? It did not improve my attitude at all. Fortunately, the meals were great. I tended to eat two meals at every meal because, you know, they just bring you whatever you want. And so I was just enjoying eating those meals until about day three when I developed heartburn that lasted for the rest of the week. I typically don't experience heartburn, so I didn't prepare for that in my little emergency kit of medications and stuff. That did not help my attitude at all. Uh, it rained almost every day we were there, and, and it, it was put into perspective for me when I came back and realized that there's a hurricane bearing down on the coast of Louisiana and that Middle Tennessee was also flooded and so many people lost their lives uh, in our area. But at the time, uh, the fact that it rained six inches in two days in St. Lucia didn't help my attitude at all. Now, I still had a good time. I focused on a lot of the things that didn't really go well, a lot of the things that soured my attitude on the trip. But anytime you can be away with your bride and spend a week in a beautiful location and just kind of uh, unwind, and, and not having my phone ended up turning out to be a great gift uh, for me at the time. But as I came back and I reflected on the trip, I couldn't help but wonder, would I have had a better time if I had done more in preparation for the trip? If all of those little inconveniences that I experienced along the way that, that negatively impacted my attitude, if I had spent time anticipating that some of those things might have happened, preparing my mind and heart for how I would respond in the event that they happened, would it have helped me to have a better trip. Because greatness isn't just defined by how you respond to something in the moment. Greatness is in part uh, defined by what you do in preparation for the moment. How prepared was I for some of the things that I experienced? Uh, the reason why I thought of this is because I was listening to a podcast uh, uh, since I got back and, and the podcast was about LeBron James. And I'm a big sports fan. And, and, and this podcaster was saying that LeBron James is the best NBA basketball player of all time. Now, I grew up in the Jordan days. So you're going to have trouble convincing me because I have an emotional attachment to Michael Jordan. But, but that's really not the point of the story. The point of the story was the podcaster says that there are 48 minutes in an NBA basketball game. And, and LeBron James plays an average of 38 minutes in every 48-minute uh, game. But out of those 38 minutes, do you know how 
uh, many minutes that LeBron James actually has the ball in his possession. Six minutes. Only six minutes out of the entire 38 that he's on the court is LeBron James actually touching the basketball. And yet, he's considered one of the greatest basketball players of all time. Why is that? What makes LeBron James great? Well, one of the things that makes LeBron James great is what he does in those six minutes when he does have the basketball. He's pretty amazing. But, but another thing that makes LeBron James great is what he's doing when he's on the court, but when he doesn't have the basketball. Because he actually, by his mere presence on the court, uh, makes the game easier and better for all of the other members on his team. And yet there's another thing that makes LeBron James great. It's all of the work, all of the preparation, mental and physical and emotional preparation before he ever steps foot onto the court for an actual game. That's what makes LeBron James great. I found this out uh, a few years ago. In my adult life, I decided it would be a great idea. I don't really have any hobbies other than watching sports. And so I thought, I need a hobby. So as an adult, I decided that I was going to take piano lessons. And one of the things that I realized about piano lessons is you can't just show up, Heron, Adam, uh, at your piano practice or your lesson and not having played any but since the last lesson and expect to ever get great at it. I mean, I thought, you know, just show up once a week, play chopsticks or whatever it was, you know, that over the course of time I would just instantly get better. Turns out you actually have to do something in between piano lessons if you want to be great. All of that I was thinking about is, 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 is my attitude uh, that I had on the trip uh, this week. And it reminded me of the story of Joseph. Now, the story of Joseph is about a guy who, who, who ends up being a, a, a great man, one of the, one of the best uh, leaders and one of the best Old Testament figures in, 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 in the whole Old Testament. But it wasn't always that way. You see, Joseph, it was read about in the Scripture this morning, uh, he was his daddy's favorite. He was daddy's boy. And this is not just what Tommy thinks about Joseph. This is actually what the book of Genesis says about Joseph, is that Joseph's father loved him more than he loved any of his other children. And, and it says that he loved him so much that he gave him what many of us grew up calling the coat of many colors. And, and so Joseph had this coat that none of his other brothers had. And, and, and this sort of went to Joseph's head, and, and, and we learned that Joseph was a tattler. He, he sees his brother doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, or maybe doing things that they, shouldn't, that they should have been doing that they weren't doing. And so he runs back and he tells daddy on his brothers. And we're told that his brothers grew to hate him. And then we find out later that Joseph has these two dreams, and, and Joseph apparently doesn't have a lot of self-awareness because uh, he interprets the dreams to mean that it, there's going to come a point in time where his whole entire family, but especially his brothers, bow down before him. And, and so once he realizes what these dreams are about, maybe he should have kept that to himself, but no, he decides to go and gloat in front of his brothers about it. And he tells them that, hey, I had these dreams and, and eventually all of you are going to bow down to me. And that caused his brothers to hate him even more. 
And so one day when they were away from daddy, when daddy couldn't do anything about it, they took their brother, they stripped him down, they took that coat of many colors off of him, they threw him in a dry cistern and they were going to leave him there to die. That's how much they hated their brother. Well, on second thought, they decided that, okay, we won't kill him. We don't want blood on our hands, but here's what we will do. There's a caravan of people traveling by right now. Why don't we take Joseph and sell him as a slave to that caravan of travelers, and then we won't have blood on our hands. We'll, we'll, we'll dip this coat of many colors into some blood so that our father will assume that Joseph met his demise at, at the uh, wild animals uh, attack. But that's what we'll do. And so that's what they did. I can imagine Joseph didn't wake up that morning saying, you know what, I bet today's the day that my brothers are going to try to kill me. Or, and if they decide not to kill me, just sell me off into slavery. I, I bet that never entered his mind. And yet the Scripture doesn't talk about Joseph complaining at all when that happened. It doesn't talk about him having a negative attitude about the situation when it happened. And I wonder if maybe the reason why it doesn't talk about his attitude or, or the reason why it doesn't talk about him complaining is because Joseph had done some work before this event happened to him. Joseph was sort of preparing his mind and heart for things that might happen and, and, and he was better prepared to respond to them. Maybe he actually believed those dreams that he had that one day this was all going to work out and those same brothers that sold him into slavery would bow down to him, would have to come and humbly submit before him. Well, uh, Joseph is taken and sold off into slavery. Those people sell Joseph to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar puts him to work in his house. The book of Genesis says that everything worked out well for Joseph, and it also worked out well for Potiphar. Potiphar ends up making Joseph his assistant. Things are going beautifully well, uh, and, and maybe Joseph thinks, here is where my life starts to get good. And then, unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar's wife developed feelings for Joseph. Uh, she thought he was a handsome-looking devil, and so she began to make her move on Joseph, even though she herself was married. Joseph did the right thing. He resisted those advances. Uh, but there was one particular time where she was trying so hard to seduce him that he ended up running and just right out of his coat, leaving his coat in her hands, and he fled. And Potiphar's wife took that coat to her husband and she said, your assistant Joseph tried to seduce me, tried to attack me. And when I screamed, he ran out of the room and he left his coat here. Potiphar got so angry at Joseph that he threw him into jail. And yet there's no evidence in the Scripture that, that Joseph complained about it or that he had a bad attitude about it. Instead, uh, Joseph began to get to know people in the jail and even impressed the warden so much that the warden gave Joseph special responsibilities inside the prison. It didn't, not long after that, Joseph being in prison, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker of Pharaoh get thrown into jail because they'd done something to tick Pharaoh off. And, and uh, they have dreams while they're in jail, and they can't interpret the dreams, but Joseph can. 
Joseph tells them what their dreams mean. And Joseph even tells the cupbearer that when your dream comes true, I hope that you'll put in a good word for me with Pharaoh in the hopes that maybe I'll get out of jail. Uh, the cupbearer says, you'll be, you, I'll be glad to do that, and then proceeded not to do it when he got out of jail. It was two years later, Pharaoh himself had a couple of dreams that he couldn't interpret. Uh, he tried to call everybody in that he could think of to interpret it, and then the cupbearer all of a sudden remembered, ah, yeah, when I was in jail, I had a dream, and, and this guy Joseph interpreted the dream. He would be somebody that you ought to call Pharaoh, and so Pharaoh calls Joseph. Joseph rightfully interprets the dream, and it, it ends up working out well for Joseph. And Joseph becomes second in command, and, and, and Joseph uh, interprets the Pharaoh's dream, saying that there's going to be seven awful years, and so we better take the seven years before those seven awful years to prepare for them. And so Joseph was put in charge of preparing for the famine. And that's what led Joseph's brothers and ultimately his father to Egypt, and that's where Joseph's dreams finally came true, and they bowed down before him. Now, can't you imagine harboring feelings of resentment and anger and frustration at your brothers all those years? I mean, they intended to kill you. They decided not to kill you, but then they threw you and sold you into slavery. And then all of these years later, where you have all the power, you have all the food, and there they are standing, kneeling there before you, wouldn't you be attempted to retaliate or to seek revenge? And yet, that was not Joseph's attitude. It's as if he had been preparing his mind and heart long before that ever happened, so that when it actually did happen, he looked at his brothers and he said, you know what, you may have intended this for harm, but God has used it for good. What it takes to be great is this. I was reminded of it in the story of Joseph, and I was reminded of it on my vacation. Is that we need to spend every day uh, preparing for whatever moments we might encounter. We don't know what those moments are, but we could be praying. We could be saying, Lord, I don't know what today or tomorrow or next week or next month or next year holds in store for me. But I want to be ready for whatever happens. I want to be spiritually and emotionally ready to respond as you would have me to respond when those things come. I don't want to, to end up having a bad attitude. I don't want to end up holding and harboring resentment and anger and frustration and bitterness at, at people and situations that I encounter. Lord, when, when those times of testing come, I, I want to embody the Spirit of Christ. I, I want to be formed and shaped and, and, and guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I want to take this opportunity to prepare myself so that when moments like that come, I might be greater than I could imagine ever being were I not seeking your will and your way in this moment.